0: Thanks for being here. Let's begin.
1: Welcome to the Rankings Podcast, where we feature top founders, entrepreneurs, and elite personal injury attorneys and share their inspiring stories. Now, let's get started with the show.
0: Chris Stryer here, CEO and founder of Rankings.io. You're listening to the Rankings Podcast, where I feature top business owners, entrepreneurs, and elite personal injury attorneys. Speaking of top business entrepreneurs, I have Cameron Harold on the show today. Cameron was the COO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, growing it from $2 million to $106 million in six years. He is the author of a number of highly regarded business books, including Double Double, Meeting Suck, Vivid Vision, The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs, and his most recent, Free PR, How to Get Chased by the Press Without Hiring a PR Firm. In addition to being a prolific writer, Cameron is also the founder of COO Alliance, a leadership training and peer support group that specializes in the development of second-in-commands. Cameron, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Chris, thanks for having me, appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited to have you, and I'm just gonna jump right in. So, I would love to talk about Free PR, do you think that free PR is right for any business, even personal injury law firms? Can you use your tactics? Can they use your tactics to generate free PR?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I was actually just speaking with a personal injury law firm today about uh, some of the concepts in free PR. Yes, it can absolutely be used for a few reasons. One, it can establish the brand of the, the business. Second, it, it can help establish the brand of the the leader or the, the leadership team of the business. Um, third, PR can be used to recruit, you know, to help... Um, you know, recruit people into a business. There's lots of ways that it can actually be utilized. I think at the end of the day, what people have to remember is, is landing a story about your company is kind of like putting a log on a fire. It just sits there. You have to actually light the log on fire for it to do anything. So you need to take the press that you get, put it on your Facebook page, put it on your LinkedIn page, share it on your Twitter profile, email it to your list, send it to your suppliers, ask your employees to put it on their social profiles. You know, those are all ways that you can kind of light the log on fire I mean, if you pour gas on the log, it'll really flame up. So it's kind of driving traffic so that people see it more, you know, emailing it out to your list, et cetera.
0: Yeah. So, so it kind of turns into a flywheel. It's, it's got all these moving components. Exactly. Is, you know, know, one of the,
1: the idea with the flywheel in case people don't know what it is, that's the Jim Collins term from good to great. That when you find that one key thing that the more effort you put into it, the more that it just propels itself, right. that, um, so PR, when, when we built 1-800-GOT-JUNK as an example, the more press that we landed, the more press that we kept landing, you know, every time we landed another article, it helped us land more articles and we ended up landing 5,200 stories about our company in six years.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's just incredible. You know, one question I read your book and I had a question about some of these traditional services, these paid services, is there still a place for like Cision and Newswire, these paid blasts, or are they generally a waste?
1: I like Cision and, um, and Muckrack as places to go and actually generate the contact information, the phone numbers for the actual journalist so I know who to call. But I don't really love the press releases and Newswires as much. Now, I'll still do a press release, you know, run it out there on the wire, pick up six or seven different media hits that nobody really notices, but then I'll share those on my social media platforms. I'll put those on my press page of my website that drives SEO link backs. So as long as you amplify it, then it can make sense. But if you simply think that, you know, running that news story, people are going to be the path to your door. No, it won't. Like even when we were on Oprah, nobody really cared. I mean, the phone rang for a couple of days and then it was over. But the fact that I can speak about being on Oprah for 17 years has made a huge difference.
0: Yeah. That's incredible. That shows your expertise, you know, that's a social proof that you can use forever. Right. So putting you on the spot here, and I know you gave me some rec- you know, some examples of how they could use it, but, but let's take, let's take an actual hypothetical firm. Let's take a Seattle personal injury law firm that sure. specializes in car accidents. What might be a few angles this firm could take for free PR?
1: I'll go less than hypothetical. I coach a, a company out of Atlanta, Georgia called Bader Scott and Seth Bader is the CEO. Um, I've been coaching them this year and actually their COO is in the COO Alliance. So I can speak to them as a great personal injury law firm, and um, and what they're doing. Well, what what they're doing is they're building brand awareness around um, around the CEO, right? They're they're around Seth. They're they're building his kind of persona in the marketplace, um, and they're getting they're getting press around this fast-growing Hispanic-owned business. Uh, they're getting press around the fact that they're a culture-based company. They're getting press around the overcoming obstacles and the trials and tribulations of the entrepreneur. Um, And and all of those articles then, you know, drive that social proof.
0: So I'm going to, I'm going to give you a quick, a funny story here. I'm not sure exactly how I got in touch with Seth, but I had Seth on the podcast and I think it was because I saw him using some of these tactics and I, and I know Lewis and, and, their firm, firm's just exploded, and I'm not sure, I, I can't place it, but I'm sure it, it might have been some of the, 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 the free PR strategies.
1: It probably, probably was, I've, I've mentioned a few clients that are actually in your industry. I had a, um, a client out of uh, um, Rochester and Buffalo, um, William Mattar. Um so if, if you, uh, I don't know what it is, if you're, if you're getting an accident, there you are, or there's William Matar or something, Bill was big in the personal injury space, and I've got another one, um, George Sink from South Carolina. That's pretty big in the personal injury space as well. That I coach George and his team. Well,
0: that's awesome. You know, I would say personal injury marketing. It's it's just so saturated, so competitive, especially in the SEO space. How how large those costs can be for just link building, link acquisition. So that was kind of the next, uh, you know, thing that I wanted to talk about was, you know, a lot of individuals talk about just the the awareness component of PR, but from a Google search standpoint, you know, how does PR impact an SEO strategy?
1: It's huge, actually. In fact, I had an SEO firm take a look at one of my websites. They looked at my COO Alliance website recently. No, actually it was at my Cameron Herald. It was at my main Cameron Herald website they looked at and they were really blown away by how high my SEO link backs were. And then all of a sudden they realized it was because of all the press that I'd received. But they're like, dude, you've got Forbes magazine, Fortune magazine, Inc. Magazine, Wall Street Journal, like legit links linking to you. I'm like, that's all the press I got. It's no big deal. They said, yeah, you're really, really highly rated in that. So I was actually screwing up a lot of the other areas of SEO. You know, I didn't have the meta tags, right. I didn't have the page descriptions, correct. All the basic stuff I was doing poorly, but because my press was so high, my SEO rating was really good.
0: Yeah. I would say that you're, you're an SEO agency's dream client because most Uh, of the time it's, it's the opposite. Maybe they have an optimized site, but maybe they just don't have backlinks. So I'm sure that once those title tags adjusted, you probably just skyrocketed.
1: We got those being done this week. All the, all the tags are being worked on
0: right now. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, let, let's shift gears over to the second commands. So when would it make sense to hire a COO? You know, what size does a law firm need to be to be considering this?
1: It's a great question. So the first thing I would tell any CEO is that, um, you know, do you have an executive assistant? Right? If you don't have an assistant, you are one. And um, for for a lot of CEOs of personal injury law firms, they've got lots of lawyers, and they've got other people around, but they didn't necessarily get a lot of the administrative off their plate. So if you can get a lot of that busy work off your plate, then that can be really powerful. Um, so I would start there first. Then afterwards, I would look at bringing the second in command in. I'm also a little bit careful about putting a title on a second in command. You want the title to match the actual roles and responsibilities the output the person's responsible for, the um, kind of oversight within the business that they actually have and the compensation that you're paying them. So as an example, for the head of operations, it could be a COO, but it could also be a VP of operations or a general manager or an operations manager. You know, it's like the head of finance could be a director of finance or a controller or a VP of finance or a CFO. You know, the head of marketing could be a marketing manager or a director of marketing or VP of marketing or a CMO. So be very careful with putting big titles in place because the people end up thinking that they're worth more than they are. They end up doing comparisons against um, others as well. And that can get very expensive.
0: Yeah, that's probably the first thing that that they do is they probably type those C-suite titles in there and see what they should be paid.
1: Yeah. I, I had somebody recently and they said, oh, I don't really care what the title is. They can have whatever title they want. I'm like, that is a very, very expensive decision you just made, right? It's funny that recently... I'm so manic about titles and picking them carefully that the one that's really been bothering me in the last 18 months is the chief revenue officer title. Well, do you know where the CRO title came from? It's because every other vertical in the business had a C-level. Finance had CFO, marketing had CMO, operations had COO. The head of sales was always the vice president of sales. They wanted a C-level title too, so we became the chief revenue officer. Great, so your VP of sales just got a C-level title, and now you're paying them 30% more.
0: Yeah, I'd never thought of it like that. And then I would say the thing that I find sometimes, sometimes you hear this in EOS where you don't need titles, you know, you got this accountability chart, but then when the title's not descriptive, it's like, it's not immediately clear what their responsibilities are.
1: Well, and I've talked to Gina Wickman and Mark Winches about this with EOS Traction, that Traction is really good until you get to 50 employees. Once you get past 50 employees in your company, you need to start using kind of the tools from scaling up from Bernard Harnish's work um, the problem with, with EOS traction is, yeah, you don't need titles when there's only 40 or 50 people running around because everybody knows everybody. But when you get to 100 and you've got people walking around the company and you don't even know who they are, titles all of a sudden carry a much bigger weight. And with the external world, titles are important because it starts to place you on equal footing with the companies that you're trying to do, do business with. So I, I kind of disagree with them on that one. The titles are important, but you need to pick them in a very, very specific way. You know, the term integrator doesn't mean anything to people in the outside world. It does if you're in the U.S. world, but to the head of a bank, if you're out there trying to raise money and you're the COO or you're the integrator, which one's going to get funded? Probably, the, you know, the COO.
0: Yeah, that's true. And I even thought from a, a tactical standpoint, well, maybe there are, if someone's interested in doing business with me, should I put, you know, integrator in there? Because then maybe those individuals that are doing traction – may place value into that to having a business framework that this business runs off a framework, but
1: yeah, that, that can work. And especially when you get something like traction, that's such a well-used, well-understood system. It's like, I think there's a couple of groups now that have done a good job with branding their systems. One is strategic coach with um, Dan Sullivan. And then the other is, is traction. You know, if you start to brand yourself using some of their um, you know, like a level 10 meeting or an integrator, that's very traction, right. Or, a Colby profile or unique ability or free days is very, you know, strategic coach. Um, using some of that terminology can definitely help with the affiliation um, of, of others within that network, but it means nothing to the people in the outside world, That's which true. is much, much, much bigger than you think. You know, most yeah. people, most people have never heard of traction and even though traction is massive, 99% of companies still have no idea what it is. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense.
0: Um... They've done a good yeah.
1: job inside of the YPO and Vistage and, and EO and, um, you know, Genius Network. They've done a good job at infiltrating the mastermind communities. The agency the, space. Yeah, but the vast majority of businesses don't know of those tools yet. It's why they're horribly average as well. Most businesses are horribly average.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that, make, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so, so throwing kind of a big softball question here, you know, so what are some tips a law firm, law firm owner can apply to find their second in command.
1: Ooh. Um, well, the first one is being very, very clear on what you're looking for, right? So if you're really clear on what you're looking for, then you'll have a chance of finding it. It's kind of like when I, when we used to go, you know, duck hunting. My grandfather would take us out and we'd go to this certain area. I'm like, why are we always here? He's like, well, the wind is coming in from here, and and I know the ducks are coming in from this area, and I'm like. How do you know that? And he goes, "Well, I've been hunting in this area for 70 years. Like, I know, I know what I'm looking for, and I know where to find them." So, when you're looking for a COO, you've got to be very clear on what you're looking for. What are the core projects or initiatives this person has to get done in the next 12 months? Right? Where do people like that hang out? What are the core behavioral traits they have as a leader right now? Right? Where do those people hang out? What's your company culture look and feel like? And can you can you go and attract? And then I try to get executive search firms to try to poach those people for me because no, a player is ever out looking for a job, right? A players are not out looking for a job. They're not on Indeed, you're not on Craigslist, they are not on industry job boards. They're doing their job, they're cranking already and you've got to poach them away from an average or good company into a great company.
0: Yeah, that's why there's always a red flag for those, those sales positions you know with a sales recruiter i mean if it's if they're the the top dog they're making that that big commission they're going to be hard to recruit
1: it's tough to pull away yeah
0: so you know one of the other things that you said was finding those you know the behavioral type of personality traits is there a particular personality assessment that you're kind of leaning towards is it disk is it you know uh, predictive or
1: I don't use the personality profiles as much probably as I should in the interview process. Well, I sit down though, and think about on a, on a job by job basis, what's the profile of the person look like on that job. So as an example, there's no salesperson who will ever make it through an HR screening process. HR hates salespeople. So the best salespeople make it up on the fly. They shoot from the hip. They're problem solvers. They're cowboys. They're winging it you know, but HR wants somebody who's very process oriented, very detail oriented. You know, they follow the procedures. There's no procedures in sales. There's no script in say, like you got to be able to hustle and think on your feet and wing it. Right. And you got to be able to be high energy. Well, HR people, aren't. so there's the, the profile that you're looking for has to match the job itself. And then you can use personality profiles to find those kinds of people, but each different personality profile shows different things. Like the Colby profile just shows you how you start something, right? Which is great, but it doesn't, doesn't show you the whole package. So I think you have to build in maybe some use of profile. I like personality profiles after I've hired people to show me how to work better with them, but I don't really like them as part of the decision-making process and interviewing.
0: That, that makes sense. So, you know, we use disc, but we're, we're doing it after they're hired and then we just, we append their, their, num- their letters so we can understand how they like to be communicated. So we can communicate you know. with them on a better level.
1: So on disc, I'm a 98 D and a 74 I I'm, and then on Colby, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nine quick start. I'm a four, three, nine, three, like I'm running a thousand miles an hour. I'm not, I'm not even sure I can see that far in advance, but I'm going, but, you, you, <laughs> but, but so as long as, but that doesn't say if I'm going to be good for the job or not the way I can know if I'm good for the job is what needs to get done. Have I done that before? And then do I fit with the people? If I can do it before and I've done it before and I can fit with the people, then here's how I operate. Here's the operating manual of Cameron, right? Here's how I act, here's how I think, here's how I walk and talk. Now here's how to work well with me. And then tell me about you so I can figure out how to work well with you.
0: So, so when you're looking for these second in command it's more about is it more about finding the areas that that kind of complement the CEO yeah. I would imagine I would imagine that if you had two DIs there would probably be a lot of a lot well, of chaos occurring
1: if you have the two DIs or if you have two people that are very very entrepreneurial or two people like or two people that really are great in marketing and sales and operations but they both suck at engineering and finance that's not a fit either so what I try to do is I think of the the CEO and the COO as a real yin and yang partnership, and I try to think about what are all the things the CEO is great at, what are all the things the CEO sucks at, what are all the things that the CEO loves doing, what are all the things the COO hates doing, what are all the things that give the CEO energy, what are all the things that, that drain the CEO of energy, and then. I try to find a COO who's really great at and loves doing all the stuff that the CEO sucks at and is not good at. I try to find somebody who's a great cultural fit with the CEO. And then I try to find someone who the trust factor is so high that on day one, the CEO will give the COO access to everything. So I had somebody recently say, well, it takes about three months after you hire someone to know if they're the right fit. I said, that's because you suck at interviewing. If you're really, really good at interviewing, you'll know everything about the person before you hire them. You know, in marriage, you date a person, you date them for a long time, you get engaged to them, you get to know them for a long time, you travel with them, you get to know them for a long time, and then you get married. So you know everything about them before the wedding day. Well, an interview process doesn't have to take years, but you have to go through all of those steps. Go for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with them, two different places each. Have your team go for breakfast. Like, have your team do a group interview. Have your team do a situational interview. Have your team do a behavioral interview. Do reference checks. Use torque. Like, really get to know this person. But most companies won't do that. will be like, oh, I like them. I'm going to be sure if you like them. Can they do what we're hiring them to do? Do they fit?
0: And do you like them? And say that radical candor, that radical transparency, just, just alignment. So, so you segment, there's a segue naturally to vivid vision. Does it start after you find this person? Is that the first thing? Hey, here's the vision. Go execute on it.
1: No, the first thing I do in the job interview process, when I get the resume is I don't read the resume. It clicks an auto reply box and it says, thanks for your resume. Please read this vivid vision of our company that describes what our company looks like, acts like and feels like three years in the future. And read this article of us in the media that came out recently. And then, if you like what both of these say and it feels like a fit for you, send me a three minute video with why you feel like you're a great fit to work in the company. So I don't even want to look at their resume until I get a video from them. And I don't want them to send me a video until they've read the vivid vision.
0: So that fast fails a ton. So those that are just oh, rocket oh, firing off your resumes.
1: Yeah. I recently, I had about 220 um, jo- or resume, sorry for sales, sorry, 130 resumes for a salesperson I was hiring in about a 10 day period I only got nine videos in from the 130. I had one person was like, fuck you, I'm not sending a video. Okay, miss you, delete. Yeah, Yeah, thank thank you.
0: Now I only have nine to go
1: through. (laughs) And I didn't look at the 130 resumes, I only looked Mm -hmm. at the nine resumes that matched the nine videos. In fact, I didn't look at the nine resumes because four of the videos were kind of crappy. One of the guys was like, oh, I'm working from a home office and Sorry about the background. The background was like clothes piled everywhere and kids shit all over the place. I'm like, this is a home office job. Like, you're always gonna have that backdrop. I don't want you. So, So really, I only looked at five resumes and five videos and all of those five people had already seen the Vivid Vision. One of the guys couldn't stop talking about the Vivid Vision in his resume. I'm like, you're a guy I wanna spend time with. I know that you know where I'm going. I know that you like the vision of where we're going. I kinda like the way you look and feel. Now let's find out if you've done the stuff that I need you to do.
0: And it seems like he got energy from hearing, reading the vision. So,
1: so he now knows going into the first interview, how much he wants the job. I'm not going to show him the vision after I hire him. I need to know if he's got the twinkle in his eyes before I do an interview.
0: Yeah, that makes sense because you would hate to go through that, that tedious process of all these interviews and you find out, Oh, your vision's different than mine. Right. What point I actually
1: had a guy that I did an interview with, who came in and he goes, yeah, I read your vivid vision, but here's a bunch of things I think you need to be doing. I'm like, none of those ideas are lined up with where I'm going, none of them. They were completely counter to where I was going. So they were all good ideas, but not where I'm driving the company. I don't want to create an online university. I don't want to create a, he wanted me to do an online community of COOs for only like $200 a year. I'm like, I don't want to have 10,000 members in a small, like that's not what I'm building.
0: Right. So let's, uh, let's talk about second in command podcasts. You know, what are a few episodes that come to mind? Just a few of your favorites that, that our listeners could tune into.
1: Ooh, a few episodes. Well, first off, so the reason that I even started the second in command podcast was I was thinking about, you know, if you asked my mom, what was it like when you raised your family? My mom would have a very true story of what it was like to grow, to grow the kids. And then she and my dad were together for you know all their 35 years until my mom passed away. If you ask my dad how did he raise his family, he'd have a very true story too. They'd be very different, right? But they'd be very true. Well, I realized when I was listening to Brian get interviewed on some podcasts that he had a really true story of how we grew and Tender got Junk. Well, so I had a very different perspective. Both very true perspectives. But mine was very operationalized and systemized and people and culture stuff. And Brian's was more vision and bigger picture. Both, again, very true. So what I wanted to do was to find out kind of the rest of the story. So that was the reason for starting the Second in Command podcast. And if I think about some of the great episodes that we've done, um, we had the Second in Command for Shopify. Uh, Harley Finkelstein was a a great guest that we had on. Um, We had the the Second in Command for one of our competitors. College Hunks Hauling Junk was a great one. Uh, we had the Cleveland Indians, um, Bumble, the dating app. I really loved that. It was a, a really great one. Uh, Bulletproof Coffee, uh, another great brand. Um, we had the Khan Academy, which I'm obsessed with, is this, this online training pro- program for kids. Um, let's see, Poshmark, Orange Theory. We've had a, had a bunch of really great ones.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. And, and then also, so most of our personal most of our listeners are personal personal injury attorneys. So it was Lewis Scott. Uh, Lewis Scott's too, you guys need to tune into that.
1: Yep, from like, Bader Scott.
0: Yeah, incredible. Yeah, Cameron, let, so let's shift over to personal development. We've already talked covered a, a ton of you know developing your your uh, ton of business development. but what are there any business books that you uh, that you recommend currently?
1: Um, well, you mentioned traction, which I think is a really great one for people to read. The two that I've really been recommending over the last year, The first one is called The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. It's all about being a wartime CEO of not wartime during the war, but wartime of during hard times. His was all around, you know, the crash of the dot-com era and the global financial crisis and really building companies through these really tough, you know, when the NASDAQ crashed by 78%, what's to do to your company and how do you build? Uh, Really great specific lessons on leadership from that. And then the second one that I really got a lot out of, and I'm surprised've I've read a lot of books on Apple um, was one called Insanely Simple. And it was all about the systems on simplicity that they used inside of Apple to really, really keep the company operating lean and to keep the op- the, the company kind of operating at a um, a simple fashion that that I think we can really learn from in our businesses as well that I think we often kind of maybe underestimate how strong of a, a business leader um, steve jobs really was
0: yeah those uh, i'll definitely have to link those up those are two great recommendations I've, I've read the hard thing about the hard things um if i'm saying that properly but i haven't read the the apple book so we'll we'll, I'll, we'll have to check those out uh what about mentors and influences you're at this different stage of the game right you've had these experiences with 1-800 got junk you've you know you have the ceo alliance and You're at this different trajectory. Today, who are some of your mentors and and, uh, influences? Well, one is I'm I'm a
1: member of four
0: different mastermind groups. So I
1: pay every year to be in the Genius Network. I pay $25,000 a year to be a member of the Genius Network. Um, For nine years, I've paid to go to the main TED conference. I go to the main five-day TED conference. That's $10,000 a year. I've gone to five years in a row of mastermind talks. I've gone to three years in a row at Baby Bathwater. I've started going to war room. Um, I have been seven years, a member of strategic coach working with Dan Sullivan. It's like I've invested a lot in my personal growth and I just feel like anytime I work on as an example the genius network every year that I invest 25,000, I pull at least a quarter million dollars worth of value out of that. Whether it's ways to grow my company or business relationships or, you know, ideas on how to scale my business. I think it's a, a real 10 X return constantly. So I spend a lot of time, plus it drives my energy level up. You know, when I'm in a room with 65 to 300 other CEOs for two to three days, I come out vibing with this new energy that I bring back into my customers, my suppliers, my uh, my employees, and myself.
0: Yeah, that, that's incredible. I always find that when I'm with these other like-minded individuals too, it, it's different because, you know, you've got maybe your local group, that your friends, and but they're all, they have different passions. But when you, when you get together with these like-minded individuals, that's where it really starts to kindle, you know, the energy and the ideas and the visions and all that type of thing.
1: And I also find it's really important to do, you know, one industry association. So years ago I was a part of, um, well, a guy that you would probably even know, do you know the name Arnie Malum? I don't. Arnie, Arnie used to run a group called CJ advertising. He ran an advertising agency that focused on personal injury lawyers. So he had, you know, about 120 personal injury lawyers that he did all the advertising for in the US. So I think that group of personal injury lawyers all learned a lot from the other personal injury lawyers that were a part of CGA advertising. But they were so inside of their industry that they often missed the point or they missed other opportunities. So I think it was really important to be a member of that and be a member of YPO and be a member of Genius Network and be a member. So I think you want to be involved in one industry association. And one or two associations outside of your organization. So, an example, you know, um, Bader Scott with Seth Bader and Lewis Scott that run Bader Scott, they're members of YPO, they're members of some industry trade groups, and, and they've got Lewis as a member of the COO Alliance. So, they're pulling ideas from these different places. And then I call it ideas having sex. You take, you know, an idea from a trade group, an idea from a COO Alliance, and those merge together and can really help scale
0: the company. I think it's a great piece of advice. The other thing I've just found for myself is I went from a, like a peer group type mastermind to a one-on-one coach. And it just seemed like I lost a lot of those, those other ideas because I was only getting the, it was all about me and I didn't get immersed in those other uh, individuals' lives and and what they were doing to solve problems.
1: Yeah. And I think, so you're, you're bringing up something. I want to speak just briefly about coaching. I've been coaching real companies with, you know, typically 50 to 500 employees for 13 years. The world is littered with coaches. There's different types of coaches, and I think one end of the spectrum is pure coaching, which is using the Socratic method of asking a lot of questions to get the person to understand for themselves what they ought to do. And at the other end of the spectrum is consulting. It's when you hire someone to do it for you. I'm kind of in the middle as as more of a mentor, where I'm not gonna do the work for you, but I can tell you exactly what to do, nor am I gonna ask you 12 questions to get you to figure it out when you just want the shortcut. And I think often what entrepreneurs want is a mentor and often what leaders need is a coach or, or a a pro like someone to the coaching protege kind of model. So I think you have to look for the way you pick a coach or a mentor is to decide what are the five core areas I want to get better at in my business this year And, and, and what kind of a person would help me get there? Do I want the shortcuts? Do I want the cheat sheets? Do I want the systems? Do I want somebody to put me through worksheets? You know, I I had one client, he's like, I want more worksheets from you. I'm like, shit, I didn't know that. I had somebody else who's like, I need more accountability. You know, I had another guy who's like, I don't want accountability. I want more brainstorming. So you really have to think about what is it you want and how do you set up that relationship with your coach or your mentor to give you what you need. But often the, the, the mentee or the protege doesn't think about what they need nor do they establish at the beginning of the relationship what they're looking for. And I think you get more from that relationship if you do that.
0: Well, I think that's a, that's an incredible piece of advice there on its own. I I mean, I, that's a huge takeaway for me. I haven't looked at it like that. I've always just kind of lumped the different, uh, types of coaching mastermind groups all together. But, but yeah, that's.
1: Very different. Like, again, as an example, genius network is a lot of ideas around marketing and branding and, um, business development. War Room is, is a lot of deep, deep dives into digital marketing. Um, Baby Bathwater is around communities and st- Strategic coaches around thinking about the business and thinking about yourself and thinking about your systems. And you know, YPO is opening doors. And, and so every mastermind group is very, very different. Uh, Vistage is very kind of operationally focused. I always say Vistage is very boring. Um, but, but damn, everybody stays for seven years because they're getting the stuff done and you've got a built in coach who's really, you know, more gray haired wisdom, you know? So every mastermind group is very, very different. I think you have to be very selective with what you're looking for and then apply it and then move around, you know, but, but again, investing in yourself is, is huge dividends for your business. If you're investing in a coach, it pays off huge dividends. If you're investing in in a, a mastermind group, it pays off huge dividends for sure.
0: Yeah. I, I've seen the returns tenfold. You know, I've got our sales guy in Southwestern consulting. I've got, uh, one guy, um, Brett Harnd, which is doing like project management, you know, process oriented thing, like a director of operations. And then, uh, we've got our VP that's, that's, uh, Stephen, who's going to be soon to join the COO Alliance and, and he's our second in command. And, and I think he's a perfect fit there. And, um, It's just been tremendously effective because they get to pass that down to the rest of our team, our, our PMs, our technicians, uh, everyone like that. Well, it's
1: funny. Like even, even on the, on the CO Alliance, I remember that um, that when we put in place what we call our 10 X guarantee, we guarantee our members that we allow them to test drive. We're like, okay, if you're not sure if you want to join for the full year, pay to come to one event, just pay to come to one event. And if you don't get at least 10 times your investment, on ideas on how to make your company money or save your company money. We'll give you your money back and don't join. Like that's pretty ballsy for us to say, look, like you're going to pay to come to like, so it's the September event as an example is 5,500 to attend. Um, but we guarantee you're going to get at least $55,000 in value. I had made from Organifi say on video, she got $2 million in value. I could, I could list member after member that gets somewhere between a hundred thousand and a million dollars in value per event on ideas for their company you can't, it's irresponsible not to show up, right? If you qualify, it's irresponsible not to show up.
0: Right. Yeah. I 100% agree.
1: Otherwise, what are you going to to sit in your office and do more email?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so one final question here, Cameron. So is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't discussed?
1: Anything I want to talk about we haven't discussed, um, I, I guess a little bit, well, when is this episode going to release?
0: Uh, in a, in about a month.
1: Okay. So let's, let's, Think about the fact that we're gonna still be in the midst of COVID or coming out of COVID. I think business leaders more than ever have to lead. We really have to lead. We have to pick a direction, roll out a vivid vision, get the team excited about that vivid vision of where we're going, get a plan put in place and drive towards something. But we need to stop reading about how hard it is or how bad it is or all the fear because our team more than ever wants someone to follow. And it's easy to run without that leader follower model during a period of growth when business just happens. You know, the last 11 years we've been running through a boom since the 2008, nine global financial crisis. Um, it's just been kind of boom time. Now more than ever leaders have to step up and lead. So I would just challenge anyone who's listening to think about that.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great piece of advice. And like you said, your, your employees want that leader when they feel a little unknown or, or, or they're unsure they want someone to follow and it makes them feel, you know, emotionally stronger and and, uh, right about that journey. It
1: gives them something to focus on right now in the absence of that, they just get more fear. So the other one that I, that I've all often been talking about in the last few years is none of this actually matters. Like none of this, what you do for work, what I do for work, none of this actually matters. Like what matters is having some fun along the way and, and having some hobbies and hanging out with our kids and our friends and our families. And this is just what we do to make money. And I think if we, if we lose sight of what's actually fun and what we do to have fun, you know, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. That's
0: very true. That's very true. Guys, we've been talking to Cameron Herald, elite business entrepreneur, author, and founder of COO Alliance. Cameron, where can people go to learn more?
1: Um, I guess the COO Alliance website is one, and then the Cameron Herald and it's H E R O L D website would be the second. Obviously, the Second in Command podcast, a great one to listen to. And then all five of my books are on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes as
0: well. Cameron, thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Look forward to
0: seeing Steve at our next event too. Sounds good. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to the Rankings Podcast. We'll see you again next time. And be sure to click subscribe to get future episodes.